You're listening to On Human Rights, where we bring you interviews from experts around the world. We highlight the latest and most interesting trends and bring you information on human rights and international humanitarian law. My name is Angela, and we're broadcasting from the Raoul Wallenberg Institute in Lund, Sweden. So today, welcome, we'll be having Evelyn Ador, and uh, I would like her to introduce herself. So over to Evelyn, please tell us a bit about yourself. Um, as she said, my name is Evelyn Ador. Um, I'm from Ghana, West Africa. I am a climate change activist, uh, a communications person, and also uh, a youth negotiator for Ghana when it comes to climate change. Thank you. Oh, that's nice. Tell us a bit about how you got into climate change and from a personal perspective before we can dive in into the other questions. So it's a funny story, actually. Uh, I started as a student journalist. I was a journalist. I did communication in the university, so... I started reporting and my editor assigned me to report on natural resource revenue management in Ghana. So as I went into the issue of natural resource and revenue and that I was exposed to other issues such as environmental degradation and the other issues that comes up and through covering events on natural resources, I got to meet young people who were who had started climate change advocacy in Ghana. And I got curious about the issue of climate change. And as a reporter, whilst looking around, I was able to connect the dots and identify how climate change was manifesting in Ghana and its impact. And so I volunteered to join the group to use my skills as a communicator to help them to create more visibility for the issues they were creating. And that's how, I ended up um, leaving my journalism work completely and becoming a full-time advocate and a full-time development communicator instead of practicing as a journalist. Yeah. Oh wow! Sounds like an amazing journey. You are working as a uh, you're a climate negotiator for Ghana and the African Group of Negotiators. What I wanted to know is that can you tell us more about that role and how this is going on with the youth climate space in Ghana and how these two are connected? So the the youth climate space in Ghana is very vibrant. We have a lot of young people who are learning and understanding the issue of climate change and how it impacts our country and the world. And a lot of them are really putting in effort to get the government to take action at the local level and also at the international level. So it's a very vibrant space with a lot of dedicated young people. As a negotiator, I was privileged to be selected by our government, the the Environmental Protection Agency of Ghana, which of course lists issues on climate change to be trained by the Climate Youth Negotiators Program, which... um, was funded by four women, um, Marie-Claire, Kita, and Sophie, and Vina. Um, I was uh, privileged to be trained last year by them and introduced into the concept of climate negotiations. 
I am passionate about the issues of loss and damage because I can see the losses that we are incurring as a country. So I decided to follow the loss and damage negotiations. Um, at COP27, that was my first time negotiating. As a youth negotiator, actually, my work has been being in the room and listening and reporting back to my um, senior negotiators and asking for Ghana's position and also reporting back to the AGN and asking for their position on some of the issues and then getting back to the negotiation room um, or through the AGN to okay, discuss and then come up with our position on issues around loss and damage. So that has been my work um, basically on the team. But you also represent the youth, but you also represent women. So I'd like you to give me your perspective on what you see is the role of uh, the youth in the climate change space in general, like all the youth in Ghana, what, what you see uh, they could do in terms of getting involved in the, in the climate action space, and also yourself as a woman and also for other women, what you'd like to say uh, about that. The youth in Ghana, I think I'll group it into three categories. One is advocacy which is pushing uh, the government to take action. And then two is actually calling for um, a place at the decision-making table. And then we ourselves taking action. With advocacy, a lot of the work is just trying to see what is being done in our country and what is not being done, calling for climate justice, at the international level, making sure that there is just transition and uh, we have a voice at the international level also. And then the second one, which I said, was about calling for a seat at the decision-making table. I can't, let me be actually that. Calling for a seat at the decision-making table. But young, a lot of young people are mobilizing and empowering ourselves and educating ourselves to understand the issues and the policies around climate change so that we can also be part of the decision-making process. This is because we think that we are the most affected people. And when people are making decisions on your behalf and you are not there, we don't believe that they can make the best decision that works well for our well-being. And so we want to be part of the process of formulating these policies, of monitoring how these policies are being implemented, and even checking how climate finance that is coming into the country is being used by the government and make sure making sure that the right people are receiving the help that they need. So being part of the process and not just standing outside and making noise and all that, but just being part of the process of planning and implementing the policies around climate change. And um, the last one, which is taking action, is also about coming up with our own sort of innovations building upon local knowledge to make sure we find solutions for our people. As much as we want support from the international community, we are not just going to sit around and wait for the international community to come to our rescue. So a lot of young people in Ghana and the climate space are trying to see how they can use technologies that exist already to solve local problems or build on local knowledge to solve our problem, to make sure that we are able to save ourselves, at least do something about the issue whilst we wait for support from other people. So this is what is being done, I think, uh, 
from my perspective or from where I stand, this is what is being done in Ghana. When it comes to women in Ghana, um, there's a lot of work still being done. One of the things is trying to educate a lot more women to understand the issue of climate change and how it affects them and also get them to take action. For me, I believe that women are very vulnerable, especially women in Africa, are very vulnerable when it comes to climate change. And girls especially are even more vulnerable because we have we already have existing social norms that yeah. makes the work of the woman more difficult and makes places the woman and the girl child at the bottom of the society. And so when the impact of climate change also strikes, it adds up another level of burden on the woman or the girl child. For example, when it comes to domestic work in Ghana, um, the girl child or the woman is in charge of it. So when it comes to, for example, looking for firewood, the girl child and the mother is responsible for that. As climate change strikes, as the woods are cut down, it means that they have to walk longer to look for firewood. This does not only just affect the ability of the mother to even perform some economic duties to earn money, but the girl child's education is on the, on the line because the time that, for instance, the girl would have spent if there is a stream nearby their house on fetching water for the house is prolonged. Now, if the child has to go to school at 8 a.m. and has to walk, say, three kilometers, four kilometers to go to the nearest stream to fetch water and walk the same distance back, it means that the child will not be ready by eight o'clock to go back to school. And so the child, the girl child may have to drop out of school just because she has to go out and look for water. So these are some of the issues that we are highlighting when it comes to women and trying to make sure that one, women have a voice in the climate space and that their needs are also taken into consideration when we are um, putting in place adaptation policies and some of these policies. So, oh, thank you so much, Evening. And for those uh, really nice examples that actually place, like, give us a context of how to view these issues, uh, especially young women. You also have experience uh, as a communications lead at EcoCare Ghana. So, it would be nice to see how you can explain to us how you utilize communication and advocacy to, to address such uh, issues. What has been the power of uh, communications and, and maybe it can inspire others to communicate? Okay, Ghana, our work is basically trying to get people living around rural communities in Ghana to one, adapt to climate change and also to make sure that they benefit from the resources around them because most of our resources are from the forest sector and the gold, the cocoa, everything. They are the farmers and so making sure that the resources also goes to them and they have the benefit. How I use communication is I make sure that every project that we are doing, we develop a communication plan. We go into the communities to try to understand their specific needs and how you can reach them. Remember, every community has different cultural values and what they think is rude and polite and all that. So understanding that, first of all, and coming back to the office and sitting down and developing a communication plan and training my project officers 
on how to communicate or how to reach them, but also breaking down the messages of climate change, for example, to into a language that these people can understand and relate to. It's another way that I use communication to reach the people. So you just don't go into the community and speak in English and your fancy words and all that. Definitely. But understanding them and then breaking it down into a language that they will understand and making sure that you mobilize them in an inclusive way. And then you also listen to their opinions on the matter. Because one of the things that you realize is that when you listen to the people, you realize that they actually even know more than you do. Coming from the city, their experiences, allowing them to share, participate, and then making sure that it's an inclusive process. Um, I think that is how I use communication or we use communication as a Ghana when it comes to making sure that um, people are building climate resilience, who are really adapting to climate change and taking action even at the community level. That's great to hear that uh, you also are including a form of agency when you're working with these communities. I'm sure some of these communities are quite vulnerable. So how are you able to work effectively with these vulnerable communities in terms of doing projects with them? I'm sure a lot of people working in vulnerable communities can express that they have some challenges balancing between livelihood and climate change, which is always a big conflict because uh, you can say stop cutting trees, but this could be their livelihood. How do you balance the two and what are some of the strategies that you could uh, you could share with us that you think are effective? Trying to find a balance. One, the first thing you have to do is to listen. You just don't assume you know. So you take your time, you go to the communities that you want to work with and listen. You listen, you, you do stakeholder um, scoping. So you, you group them into different stakeholders and you listen to their perspective because you realize that even in the same community, they are affected differently. So once you listen and then you know what they are going through and what their expectations are of you, you are able to plan um, better on how to help them, what are their needs, because you just don't assume that community is suffering from uh, the impact of climate change. So for your adaptation measure, maybe they need water. Sometimes they may need something else. So if you go and just put a borehole there and they don't use it, then so you go to the community, you don't, you don't come with already made solutions. You go to the community and you listen to them and you ask them, how can we all work together and solve this problem? Because sometimes they even have solutions that you in the city or wherever you are, not even know. You just have to urge them to come up with what they think they need. And making sure that I think it, it's an inclusive and participatory process. You need to understand the study the group dynamics or the cultural dynamics of the society. Um, let me give an example. Sometimes you organize a program and you realize that you invite women and the women come and in the meeting they don't speak. So in some communities culturally, when men are speaking, women are not allowed to speak. So you realize that if you want to have the women voice, you need to come up with a different strategy to meet the women maybe separately from the time that you don't group them together. You have to separate the women from the men 
And then you will see that the women are able to speak and express themselves more. You don't go there thinking that you can change this tradition overnight where women will speak in the presence of men. So you just separate them and then you come up with a different strategy. What is the best time to meet women? Because when you, you schedule a meeting between some time, especially in the evening, like between three o'clock to six o'clock, when the women ask who are the domestic workers and they are supposed to be in the kitchen cooking and you schedule a meeting at that time, no woman will show up. So you need to study the studying and understanding the cultural dynamics of communities is very important. And I think it's the first step in going to any community with a project or even with a solution. You need to really study them and understand their dynamics and then come up with a tailored solution on how you can make the process very inclusive and participatory. And then they will themselves help you to come up with the solutions that best help them. Oh, thank you, Evelyn. I think you highlight some very important things that people need to think about, especially when working with communities. I think those are very important to think about the cultural, the background, the dynamics, the power dynamics, all these type of things are, I think, are very important. So I would like to ask you, like, how do you envision that now the path forward is going in terms of addressing climate change? For you personally, do you have anything in the future that you'd like to share? And in general, like in terms of climate change, what do you envision as the path forward for you? For me, I, I think that we need more young people to get involved. We need more young people to study and understand the issues. And then we need more young people to get involved in coming up with the solutions, you know. We need more young people, one. Um, and then I think more young people also need, like, mentoring and a support system because being a climate change advocate uh, is not an easy process, especially for young people coming from developing countries. I know a few people who are working under very dangerous conditions sometimes when you are very vocal and you even speak against some government or some government initiatives when you, you are even put at risk and all that. So that support system that encourages more young people to be vocal in the process is, is needed. But I also think that the world keeps seeing climate change as a problem and I think the developed world thinks that climate change is an issue that affects maybe developing countries already. Or for example, Africa. We always say Africa is very vulnerable to climate change. And so when it comes to say climate finance and some of the things, they take a position like we are doing you a favor. Um, it's a favor to Africa. We are trying to save you or something. But the truth is Africa is a uh, provider for the world. And so if you you think that you are in the developed world and climate change, because you have the systems to adapt, climate change does not affect you as much. And you don't care whether developing countries in Africa and elsewhere, the Caribbeans, all that, you don't care. You think you'll be saved. You are lying. Let me give an example of Coco. Cote d'Ivoire and Ghana are the world largest producers of cocoa. Yes. 
cocoa is consumed mostly by European countries, right? Yes. If climate change impact happens on cocoa, it is your tea for breakfast that is gone. I don't really drink tea for breakfast. I eat wache for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, yes, it affects my revenue in a way, but I may still get my breakfast. But your tea, your chocolate that you enjoy so much is gone. I don't really eat a lot of chocolate, though, even yeah. though I grow the cook. So I just want um, people in developed countries to see climate change as not just an issue that affects developing countries or that at the end of the day, the impact will not affect them as much as it affects those in developing countries. But the impact, even the little impact that we are suffering here also affects you one way or the other. So it's not just Africa or the Caribbeans that will go down but the whole world goes down together. And so when you are thinking, you should think about how we are going to save ourselves as a planet, as a unit, yes. because the human race is one and what affects one affects everyone. I don't know if my language is good enough yet. Oh, no, I think that was a really good point. I think the issue at hand right now it requires some, some form of global cooperation, global governance in terms of how we would like to proceed. So that's an important way to address that issue and to just also highlight that we are all going to be affected some way or the other, even if it's differently, it will all be affected by the consequences of uh, of climate change. So I would like to ask you if you have any parting shot that you'd like to finish off with and uh, any last words? <laughs> As you said, I think my last word would be the need for global cooperation in trying to find solutions to climate change. We all need to come together and see that climate change is an issue that affects humanity. No one is excluded from the impact. We are all we are all either saved or we all go down together. And so we all need to take action. Whatever action you can do, everybody is important. If you're an advocate, please raise your voice. If you are in the technological world, please come up with solutions. Make sure these solutions are cheap and people can afford it. Um, whatever you do, you can you can play a role with whatever skills you have. You don't need to be anything special to play a role. Just raise your voice, demand action from your government, demand action from your local authorities, demand action from the private sector, um, demand action from the fossil fuel companies. And then I think that once we all put in our, our work and we are committed to take action, we can save our planet and save the people that live on Earth. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Evelyn. That was a really nice parting shot. And uh, I would like to say thank you for the work that you do and continue being a champion and advocate for climate change. Uh, you're a wonderful representation of uh, the youth and also of women in uh, in this space. So it's really amazing to see what young person like you working and raising your voice about this. Thank you. Thank you for listening and please share the podcast. See you next time.